Hello and welcome to another edition of It's Your Money from Mayor Brownsword, where we try and make sense of the world of money. We're going to send a copy of this podcast to the Chancellor to see if it'll help him. I'm Andrew Harrison and as usual I'm joined by Andy Mayer, the Mayor in Mayor Brownsword. Hello Andy, how's it going? Very well, thank you Andrew. It's quite peaceful. We haven't had a change of Chancellor or Prime Minister in what, in two weeks? So it's life's looking a little bit easier. I'm going to check while we're recording and see if anything changes because it could well happen. If ha- if it does, I'll, I'll put the klaxon up and we'll, we, we can react <laughs> live. This time on the podcast, we're going to talk about a recurring theme, ESG investment. That's environmental, social and governance investment, also known as socially responsible investing, impact investing or sustainable investing. Andy, to remind the listeners, what is it? I think the simplest way I can describe it is, does your pension fund that you have in a workplace or your investments that you hold with us or your investments you hold somewhere else, would those investments make David Attenborough proud? (laughs) <laughs> it's a very simple way of looking at it. Are your investments going to make Attenborough proud and are they benefiting society? That's the simplest way I can describe it. Okay, well, we're going to go deeper into that late, later in the podcast. We have two special guests with us to help us do exactly that. Niccolo Bragazza is a senior investment analyst with the research and data company Morningstar. Hiya, Niccolo. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for coming on. Where are you, by the way? I'm in London in my office at the moment. Quite a cloudy day, but um, survived the, tr- the tube. So how, how does ESG fit into, into what you do at Morningstar? Yeah, so I think uh, uh, personally, ESG has been really an essential part of my experience here at Morningstar. It's really probably one of the best places to be for, for ESG, given uh, our you know, uh, heritage with, uh, in, within ESG given the fact that we own one of the most important data provider companies uh, in the space, Sustainalytics. And personally, I've been working on uh, on the development, the launch, and system the management of the ESG portfolios here in the UK. And uh, I need to admit that this has really given me a super valuable opportunity to to get a full exposure to ESG. Excellent. Okay, well, we can get into that uh, that later on. Also with us, we have Brian O'Kennedy. Brian is the CEO of Clearstream Solutions, which is a leading independent carbon management and corporate sustainability consultancy. Hello, Brian. How are you and where are you? Thank you, Andrew. Yes, I am uh, in Dublin, Costa del uh, Dublin (laughs) at the moment. Beautiful sunny (laughs) afternoon here. Yes, and uh, I'm I'm well. We're uh, we're an ESG consulting firm, uh, as you said, so um, delighted to be on today to talk about the corporate approach to ESG. So you yourself have got a lot of history in things like supply chain, IT, print, packaging, media, stuff like that. How did you come to move into the the sustainability consultancy type of world? Yes, Andrew, I suppose it was a bit of a Saul on the road to Damascus conversion for me. I was, as you mentioned, in some of the, the, the more challenged industries, such as print and packaging for, for many years. It was actually a tender issued by the Scottish Census Fair dues to the Scots. They've been doing a lot of great work on sustainability. And as part of the tender process, they asked us, this is about 15 years ago, um, they asked us about our sustainability. And, and frankly, at the time, we didn't have a clue about it. So I started to investigate and said, this is for me. This is what I want to do. So yeah, set up Clearstream Solutions about 14 years ago. And uh, yeah, for the first 10 years, it was a little bit of a struggle um, in the context of ESG hadn't quite um, arrived as as a business imperative for for all companies, but yeah, the last four years has been um, 
uh, has seen rapid growth and, and change in the whole ESG and corporate sustainability world. So what does Clearstream actually do? How, do? how do you kind of help your clients? Yeah, so I suppose for most organizations, one is it's about decluttering the whole thing and simplifying it, as, as Andy said there beautifully with his David Attenborough analogy. But but really, we help companies to to measure and manage and improve their, their sustainability performance, both in terms of their own business and in their value chains. So it's it's around helping them to define the policies, come up with sustainability plans, uh, some measures and KPIs, and then how do they report that out to the, the greater world? So it's a big, wide, noisy subject, sustainability. The investors are asking about it. Their customers are asking. Their employees are, are asking about it. So it's competitive space. But really, it's around giving companies that, uh, I suppose, angle, competitive advantage in terms of how they present their ESG strategies to the world yeah so they can go to clients and investors and say look we've we're doing something about this we've got we have policies and we've got processes and we're conscious of what needs to to happen exactly so they'll get a big check from from andy to show that they're they're doing the right thing and and obviously investors are getting a much more sophisticated as to how they measure you know sustainability used to be a nice report little fluffy pictures and dire you know graphs and stuff like that but now it's actually what a lot of um frameworks and standards that companies have to meet that help investors to assess whether companies are are good ESG or climate risk or opportunities. So it's it's quite a it's quite a good structure and framework to it. Now we're still on a journey, but a lot of companies are are only starting on their on their data collection or reporting journey. So it's really to help them understand what does that process look like and what are investors going to ask them to provide by way of data and evidence. Okay, well, let's let's get into it. How how ESG investment performs for for you as an investor, maybe what listeners maybe should be doing. I guess we should expand on that idea of exactly what it is. So, so Nicola, I asked Andy for his, his definition, and he said, "Don't upset David Attenborough." What's what's your definition of what ESG stands for? So, I think that's a great starting point. To be honest, I, I I'm not sure if I will. Uh, I will I will do a better job at describing what ESG is, but I will I will try. And uh, I think the easiest way to grasp what really ESG is is about uh, understanding that, aside from the acronyms that we all know what it stands for, it is about understanding that ESG is uh, understanding non-financial aspects of your investment that may have financial consequences either good or bad, across the three dimensions, environmental, social, and governance. And this is why often we hear talking a lot about ESG risk. It is because ESG issues may have financial consequences in the end. For example, if, a, if for example, a company is not paying attention to environmental regulations uh, or it is not paying enough attention to safety standards for its workers, it is not unlikely that it's that this company is going to to pay FT fines for not uh, uh, taking into account those risks sooner or later. And I think that you know the inclusion of this consideration in in investment analysis uh, has been something that investors have done without using an acronym for a long time. So because really now we are talking through this acronym, but mm. investors have always paid attention to the quality of the governance within the companies and how these companies were behaving in the competitive landscape or also within their relationship with communities and workers. So it was really just a part of the normal due diligence. 
Yeah. What, what I think has changed is really the fact that uh, we, we went from uh, a more uh, unstandardized process to the codification of standards for the integration of ESG considerations. And obviously acronyms are very helpful mm. in this regard. And this has allowed the launch of products explicitly considering these non-financial aspects within their investment allocation. I mean, is it about sort of looking for whole sectors like green power or, you know, renewable construction materials? Or is it about finding specific performers within sectors? I mean, can you like look for the greenest telecom provider or, or even potentially, you know, the, the greenest, I don't know, crude oil provider if such a thing exists? Yeah, I think I think we need to distinguish between ESG investing and impact investing. Mm-hmm. So impact investing is really targeting those companies that are going to make an impact in the way in which we produce things and also an impact in the way in which the market operates with regard to certain businesses. So, for example, a company providing environmental solution for utility companies. That is a great example of a company making an impact. But generally, you know, if you think about the availability of investments on impact investing, you, you need to think about funds with very strong uh, sector biases and yeah. with also some biases in terms of small cap investments, because obviously some of these companies tend not to be at the top end of the market cap distribution. Whereas ESG investing is more about best in class. So selecting within each sector, the best companies from an ESG perspective. Okay. Um, I saw you wrote a piece for Money Marketing recently where you basically told the readers, don't just look at the E in ESG, the environment. Look more closely at the G, at the governance. Why why, why do you say that? It's it's a very simple concept. I think that uh, if you have a very good governance, uh, they will make the right decision also on the S and E side. So, if you want if you want to make sure that the company is going the right direction on the e and s side the most important predictor of that direction of that positive direction is a good governance that's in very simple terms my my idea brian obviously you're working in the sustainability sector your job is to help companies effectively Im- Im- improve what they're offering to the world and 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 to investors do you find that having it packaged as as ESG as a kind of, which has become a kind of a, a phenomenon within the investing world, has it made it easier for you to explain to people why they need your services and why they need to do what you're offering? Yes, I think, look, the term ESG is, is simple. There's, there's those three pillars, the environmental, social and governance. And having that structured approach helps companies to at least understand a little bit better what the key themes and issues I agree completely with Niccolo in terms of the governance, because in the end of the day, you don't have senior executive and you don't have the proper structures of your leadership team, then you're not going to be able to implement the strategies and and other issues within environmental or social. Um, So having the right governance structure, being able to have the right resources and the right due diligence and um, reporting frameworks and data uh, all of those things are absolutely critical for any company to be able to implement. I would say, though, when a lot of companies look at the term ESG, it tends to be very financial. I mean, it's more of an investor finance 
focused terms. So mm. we try and dumb it down a little bit, say, look, it's actually, it's a, it's about sustainability in your business. It's about very simple things like what, what are the important issues to you and your stakeholders? So we have a concept called materiality where organizations will look at their, their business and say, well, what are the key things under workplace for us? What are the key things under environment? What are the key things under, under biodiversity, perhaps? So what are the key issues and themes and how important are they to our stakeholders? Because every company is a little different and unique. So building it bottom up and having an understanding of what these issues mean to you is very important rather than starting with the, well, this is what we need to report out to investors. So that becomes our our whole process. So we would always encourage companies to try and find areas of particular competitive advantage within what they do as an organization that might appeal to investors or funders or insurers. And it's not just the investors that are asking, as I said, customers are asking, prospective employees are asking, banks, lenders are asking. So if you can articulate your value, your sustainability, your ESG value proposition in terms of your key themes and pillars and and targets and KPIs and how you're performing, then you're actually going to be a much better run business um, in, in the end of the day. So I think ESG is useful as a term. I think it helps people understand, yeah, it's environment. But I would I would encourage most companies to start look look beneath that and start looking at the themes and issues. And obviously the sustainable development goals are a good structure. There's 17 of them that can be looked at. We can look at things like the GRI reporting framework. It gives us a lot of themes and topics that we can use to measure and report and disclose on our ESG performance. Andy, you and I have talked about uh, this kind of stuff a, a lot on, on past podcasts. Just just um, recap for the listeners. Um, how does it fit into the way that you give advice and the, the areas that you ask, you know, suggest people look at? When we take on a possibly new client, it's one of the questions we do drill down to see if they're really interested in this. And recently, we've taken on a couple of new families we're going to look after. And it, they were very adamant they wanted their money invested in the right way, not just for themselves and their children it had to have nothing to do with fossil fuels and they were very concerned when you look at what's going on in the world that they wanted no involvement in anything that had to do with armaments and existing clients we might have worked with for 20 30 years on their annual meeting we always just say if you're not in an esg portfolio do you have any concerns do you want to help do you want to do this people say no that's fine by us but we ask it it's an integral now part of our business for new existing customers and what we try and do in the office as well, because it's this isn't going away. This is here forever. Mm. Yeah. So, Nicola, how, how does ESG perform compared to other classes of investment? Are there, are there standout areas and standout companies? Yeah. So, I, I think uh, I think this is a very good question, especially for 2022. So, 2022 has not been a great year for ESG investing. And I'm talking of ESG investing from the SRI type of approach. So the socially responsible, looking at socially responsible indices, which I think they give you a better representation of what a stricter ESG uh, integration is within, within indices. And I think that, you know, after after more than two years when, you know, ESG has been pre- presented as uh, something radically different from, from an investment point of view, 2022, you know, has taught uh, 
a hard and old lessons to investors that ESG investing is still investing and the same exact rules apply also to stocks seen as the future. And maybe we will expand a little bit on this point later, but I mean, I, I can just anticipate that uh, the two main reasons why ESG SRI indices have underperformed this year has to do with uh, sector differences versus uh, conventional indices and uh, with higher valuations as well. So let's, uh, if we look at SRI indices uh, uh, from MSCI and we compare them against their conventional uh, siblings, uh, so MSCI USA versus MSCI USA SRI, MSCI UK versus MSCI UK, the standard index, we can see that uh, the underperformance of SRI indices is a constant across every uh, geography we look at. Uh, and sometimes underperformance is is quite big. So if we look as of the end of September, for example, at the performance of MSCI USA in 2022, uh, we see that uh, it has lost close to 5% in GBP terms. Whereas the SRI benchmark, uh, it has lost uh, 9.5%. So it's basically a 4.5% difference uh, underperformance. And the difference is even more striking within the UK market because the MSCI UK year to date is up 1.5% as of the end of September. And the MSCI UK SRI is down 11.7%. So we are talking of a difference of 13.2%. Mm. And this does, does not stop to the UK or the US. It's also the same thing for Europe, ex-UK, for Japan. Uh, and for EM as well. So uh, it's, it has been a very challenging year, but there are reasons for that. Hmm. So, so what does this mean for the kind of investors who will be listening to this podcast who are kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not professional industry insiders, they're normal people saving for retirement and saving for saving for the future. Does this mean that, I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess that ESG has been underperforming because of the very strange and special circumstances of the past year, the Ukraine war, the you know, lingering effects of COVID. Do you think that ESG is going to bounce back, as it were? Well, definitely. Compared to one year ago, valuations now look much better. Hmm. So we have been saying that for a few years now, since we have launched our portfolios uh, here in the UK, we said, look, ESG assets uh, uh, look quite expensive from a valuation perspective across uh, a range of different uh, valuation metrics, price earnings, price to price to book, price to sales. Uh, and therefore, you need to take into account uh, this higher valuation when it comes to expected returns. But when this differential in valuation decreases, as it has been the case within the last year, also expected returns tend to converge. And therefore, my thinking is that today, uh, ESG... Uh, looks much more interesting from an expected return standpoint than one year ago. I believe that Morningstar has bought a data provision company called Sustain Analytic specifically to prevent and to flag up instances where maybe a fund or an investor is badging something as ESG when it kind of is a bit more questionable than that. Yeah, so Morningstar bought Sustain Analytics uh, 
because Stenalytics is one of the most important data provider and research provider on ESG. And uh, it was very important for, for Morningstar to, to, to be a leader in, in this space. And uh, with regards, obviously, to our activities as, uh, you know, um, portfolio managers and uh, uh, people uh, investing into ESG, I think, uh, you know, Stainalytics uh, helps us a lot in uh, having high quality data that we can look at when it comes to deciding whether companies may be um, of interest for uh, for inclusion uh, in ESG indices and and then uh, into our portfolios, so that's um, that's definitely an invaluable, uh, a very valuable piece of our process, and um, and and it's really around the quality of the data. Data is of paramount importance in ESG, and the quality of those data that has been. Uh, Quite, a, quite an issue in the past, especially 10 years ago, you didn't have a lot of data uh, to use in order to make uh, informed decision. Today, with, uh, with providers such as Sustainalytics, this is much easier uh, and it gives us uh, much more comfort when it comes to evaluating whether a company uh, may be um, sustainable or not. Brian, how real is the impact of uh, ESG in- investor input to the to the way business is changing i mean are businesses like the people you deal with they keep it at the front of their mind and their decisions yes increasingly andrew it is a core part of of any business strategy now um it used to be separate you know we could have even separate businesses or separate parts of the business divisions looking after our sustainability we'd have green teams and stuff like that whereas now what we're seeing is we're seeing companies integrate their sustainability strategy into everything they do. So it, it's effectively part of all of their divisions. And not only is it you know, our, our financial performance plus a good ESG performance, it's now integrated into a total overall value impact. So companies are being measured and know they're being measured on the basis of their, their wider ESG and sustainability performance, uh, as well as their financial performance. And a few good examples of that are where for instance, now the, the, the legislation in the UK and in other European countries um, requires companies to actually disclose their non-financial information in their annual reports. It, it requires them, as Niccolo mentioned, to disclose their uh, climate risks and opportunities. So even in the context of building this into our internal structures, we are also going to have to disclose these to publicly um, under the legislation, and also to organizations like Sustainalytics or MSCI or CDP, the Carbon Disclosure Project. So there isn't really anywhere for businesses to hide anymore in terms of their ESG performance. It has to be front and center. Companies have to be able to measure and disclose. uh, And they're being rated, as one American colleague of mine said once, (laughs) it's it's a rank and spank scheme. So the companies that are not performing well um, will will not attract not just investors, but banks, uh, insurance, employees, contracts. As I say, it's a a competitive environment now. And and if I'm bidding on a tender in the UK um, uh, for the UK government, I need to be able to talk about how my company is bringing value and a wider social value impact 
to the contract. So it's no longer something that we can address with a green team or a, a separate person who's responsible for sustainability. It's got to be built into everything we do. And, and that fundamentally comes back to the question there, with, which you were talking to Nicolo about is, you know, when we get these short term shocks in the market or we have resource constraints or we have political change, God help us. These things most companies will view as short-term change. The direction of travel is still pretty clear. Most organizations will realize that this is fundamentally core to their business success going forward. So if you're a good sustainability performer, then you're a good business, and and, uh, that will ring through in the end. So these little twists and turns, and it's not a straight line to, to achieving a good ESG performance. There's going to be little twists and turns in the road, but fundamentally, it, most most businesses now realize that it's the right thing and a good thing, and it, it'll actually help their business performance. So, Andy, just to wrap up, you know, from the point of view of the regular investor who's listening to this, where do you see all this going in the kind of development of these type of markets in the next few years? What I would say is Peter came Phoenix Nights, turned around, he'd been <laughs> to another site and said, I've seen the future. It's garlic bread. ESG is not going away. This is here forever. This is going to be a fundamental core part of everyone's life and businesses. So in the terms of Peter K, it's the future, but it's not garlic <laughs> bread. Well, on that note, which is suddenly making me very hungry, um, that brings us to the end of this edition of the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and found it informative. Thank you, Nicolo Bragazza. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us, Brian O'Kennedy. Thanks, Andrew and Andy. Thank you. And thanks as ever to Andy uh, for having us on. Andy, what are you up to next? Well, Brian and I are very lucky. Tomorrow we're going to watch Ireland play South Africa at rugby with our great friends Tom Lane and his guest Matt Cooper. So we're going to have a great weekend, hopefully watching Ireland beat the world champions. Best of luck to you. You're here. Listeners, thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow It's Your Money on Spotify or Apple Podcast. The next edition will then come to your phone seamlessly. We hope you found it useful and interesting. We'll see you next time. Thank you.